<clears throat> well, I've handed out a, a handout. Some of the material that I'll talk about today that I thought would be helpful for you to look at is on there, but not everything's there. Uh, but I, um, as usual, bring in a prayer from the prayer book to start with that I think lends itself to the topic. And this one is not a collect. It's the confession that um, was found in the 1928 prayer book that we've continued to use. Uh, we've reinserted back into morning prayer here in the morning. Um, is uh, the confession. Um, and, uh, you know, since it's said in worship in unison, why don't we do that? Let us pray. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things that we ought to have done. And we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And there is no health in us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. Spare thou those, O God, who confess their faults. Restore thou those who are penitent, according to thy promises declared unto mankind. In Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. Um, uh, you know, that, that prayer, uh, <clears throat> it's a lot of, sort of, sort of sounds like a groveling prayer. Um, for a lot of people, it's offensive. They wouldn't want to have that in worship. We kind of delight in the fact that the Advent uses that in morning prayer. If you're used to our culture by now, you know, saying something like, uh, we're miserable offenders and there's no health in us uh, is really what I want to talk about today. And so um, if you leave today feeling like, golly, that's real downer, you know, where's the hope? Um, come back next week, okay? Because what I'm trying to do today is to kind of dig the hole, you know, I'm trying to help us understand the need for Jesus Christ. And next week, I'll fill that hole with the grace of God and Jesus Christ. I'll start to give you a taste so that you don't leave with absolute pessimism. There'll be some optimistic appeal at the end. Um, but, you know, if we don't address uh, the proper diagnosis of human nature, it's very difficult to understand Christianity uh, and, and the need for Jesus. Um, what's the problem? Uh, <laughs> it's, it's like, can we? I think that one doesn't uh, go down all the way. And they wonder why we need lamps, more lamps in here. I've actually set this up as a demonstration of the folly of uh, <laughs> mankind. Is, do those curtains close, or are they just decorative? No, I think we're good. You can just stand there and hold the chain. <laughs> I think we're good. If you all want to turn your chairs closer, it's fine. It's a very MacGyver kind of thing happening. I'm sorry, y'all. Just look here. Don't look there. Or move. If we don't... Um, <clears throat> if we don't get at the diagnosis, the problem of human nature, it's very difficult to understand Christianity. It's very difficult to understand um, God's relationship with us from the beginning, but especially God's intervention uh, in Jesus Christ. 
um, uh, um, places that don't address the problem start to get kind of sentimental for the most part. Um, and so today I want to talk about us, uh, people, human nature. The theological term for this uh, um And I don't usually put a ton of these kind of words up, but I find this helpful. Anthropology. Now, you've heard of anthropology in terms of a, a field of study. Sorry, can you all see this? Um, is that better for everybody? Uh, anthropology uh, in a theological context means the study of human nature. This isn't the same thing as like... Um, the, um, the, the, the the academic field of study of anthropology. Anthro meaning uh, human. Um, uh, ology, anthropo, and then ology, the study uh, of, of humanity. Uh, and so that's what I'm kind of getting at today. And the, 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 the topic that's helpful to wrap your mind around is original sin uh, in terms of understanding human nature. Um, you've all probably heard that before, the idea of original sin. And the helpful way to think about original sin is the, 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 um, the illness, the disease, the infection that lies within versus, you might say, actual sin. Now, when people say sin, you usually think about behavior, the particular things that people do, right? I mean, that's a word that comes to my mind when I'm interacting with people and we talk about sin, usually they're talking about particular behaviors. Um, so it's helpful to think about original um, uh, versus actual sin. Actual sins would be the kinds of behaviors that come out of us in terms of the things that we do, the things that we think, the things that we cannot control. Um, the, uh, the things that we say, those are the symptoms of the disease of original sin. Are you tracking with me? Um, you know, um, the tumor <laughs> is where the cancer lies, and it might lead to other symptoms that bubble up on the surface. Um, and uh, this uh, stems all the way back uh, to... Um, to uh, what happened in the Garden of Eden, um, that we've all inherited this uh, through the, the lineage of Adam and Eve, uh, that all of humanity has inherited this uh, original sin. Um, and let me uh, just tell you a few stories before I kind of move on into the sort of biblical theological ex exposition. Um, some people, and the way that this kind of comes to, to, to bear is, is with uh, thinking about children. Um, some people, uh, when talking about children, speak about a newborn child or a small child who can't talk yet as if they're like sinless cherubs, right? You've heard that sort of sentimental talk before, haven't you? That uh, she's just an angel or something. Um, but, you know, the bad news is that actually the original sin lies in the, the newborn child, even in the womb. You know, uh, the child that cannot speak yet and can't really act, uh, lying there uh, day one is a sinner. Um, and you might think, gosh, that's real, uh, that's real uh, terrible thing to say. I mean, what has that child done yet? Well, the, you know, the, they haven't had time uh, to interact with the, the, the world, hasn't corrupted them yet. 
Well, that's not the way it works. The corruption comes from within. That's why the world's corrupted, because uh, we've all got the infection. Um, and if you don't believe me, um, you know, we'll have kids, <laughs> if you don't believe me. Um, I mean, even the small child who's only a couple weeks old will do some things that seem quite selfish. But uh, even but when they start uh, talking, uh, you know, uh, the words that they love, like mine and no, um, but uh, someone told me this story about a young uh, child who couldn't have been too old, two or three years old, uh, who was in a backyard playing, and the mother was uh, washing dishes, looking out the window to the backyard above the sink, and the child uh, noticed there's a frog in the backyard and was uh, watching it and following it a- around. Uh, so the mother's watching her child with this frog, and all of a sudden the two-year-old went... <laughs> And killed the frog. That's original. That's a symptom of original sin in a very young child that uh, hasn't had too much time to be corrupted by the world yet. But the disease is inside that allowed her to think this might be an interesting experiment <laughs> to kill this frog. Uh, that's that's original sin manifesting itself. Or you might see it in uh, later life. Um, the disease of uh, sinfulness that binds our strength, that makes us weak, so that our wills are bound up and corrupted in something like addiction. If you've ever met somebody who's a- an addict, or maybe you've suffered with addiction, uh, addiction's a helpful analogy for understanding uh, sin writ large. Um, uh, my father is a recovering alcoholic. Uh, he hasn't uh, hasn't uh, had alcohol for for going on a decade or so now, but he's had fits and starts through his whole life of trying to give up, and he's had success for sometimes at like two or three years at a at a time. And I asked him, you know, several years ago about the addiction and the recovery, explaining. Uh, the stories to me and he said he remembered he has these vivid memories of trying to give up and he would he'd say he'd wake up and say you know today's the day uh, I'm going to uh, quit drinking it's ruining my life you know I'm gonna, uh, muster up the strength and he'd go in the cabinets and get you know the rum and the vodka and pour the full bottles down the drain um, and then later that day he'd find himself in a liquor store buying alcohol. I mean, the same dang day, you know, that he was like, this is, this is it. I'm gonna, gonna do it. And there goes the money that I spent on this down the drain. And then it just, uh, he can't help himself. Now you've felt that way about something else. Maybe you haven't been addicted to drugs before or alcohol, but you've probably felt that way about something else, haven't you? Where you, where you thought through my own strength, I'm gonna, through my own will, you know, dieting, (laughs) <laughs> That's my constant struggle uh, among many. But you know, I think you know n- n- now's it. I'm you know I'm gonna stop uh, stop eating the sweets or something. You know the the, the dessert and it, it sticks for a little bit. Then all of a sudden, uh, for some reason, uh, that strength uh, it is it does not um, last. My weakness sets in. And then later in life, you might see this. Uh, with somebody who's a very uh, sweet person in life, that's who's, who's quite reserved. Now, clergy see these things. If you don't believe what I'm talking about, you know, go ask a pastor who actually sees people in the hospital or the retirement home and whatnot. 
Uh, we'll see this often with someone who has dementia or Alzheimer's disease or some form of dementia. Uh, you've maybe you've had someone in your family who's like this, who, who was something in life for the most part that you knew. And then when they had dementia, it just is like, where is this coming from? Like a little old lady who, who was quite reserved, then all of a sudden starts swearing like a sailor when she has Alzheimer's disease. Where is that coming from? It was, it was there all along. It just was bottled up. Those words were in her vocabulary all along. They were in her mind, you know, but the barrier was broken down. And all of a sudden, this, this sinfulness that was trying to be reserved uh, through a, a process of retention all of a sudden breaks through uh, with the dementia. Um, and so that's that's kind of human nature. That that's us for the most part. That's you. That's me. Uh, to some degree, um, that's um, that uh, is uh, the way life is. Um, and uh, it's a it's a horrible, terrible thing. Uh, and uh, and uh, it can lead to despair. It can really lead to despair. Oftentimes, driving people to things like taking their own life. Um, because there seems to be no hope um, because uh, no matter how much they try to uh, save themselves um, through their own strength, uh, for some, they get to the end of the rope and it just feels completely hopeless. Uh, and um, so what so what can we do you know what can we what can we do about this? Um, um, there uh, there's a theologian that I like. By the way, I'll just say it right now. Every week I've been asking the teacher to um, to recommend a title. And this uh, week, the title I'm recommending is by an author whose book I often talk, another book I often talk about that I think is quite dense. But this one's a little more accessible. Is this guy named Gerhard Ferdi, who's a Lutheran theologian who wrote this book called Where God Meets Man, Luther's Down-to-Earth Approach to the Gospel. So Gerhard Ferdi, Where God Meets Man. And um, he basically, he says that Martin Luther, theologian, um, said, you know, when it comes to us, where God meets man, that human uh, who's completely corrupt, um, that basically most, that everybody has a sort of idea of a ladder between God and us. It's just a matter of how that ladder is used. Do we have the strength to get on that ladder and climb up to God? Or does God uh, come down to us? Now, most people, uh, for the most part, this is actually in uh, our default mode for all of us, I'm convinced, is to think that to some degree, um, we've got to, by our own strength, climb that ladder, uh, either all the way to the top or at least somewhere <laughs> along the line. Um, but if you're dealing with uh, people who uh, <laughs> who are like what I've just described, us, how can we um, begin to imagine that in order to approach God, that we've got to use any ability, that we have any ability to do this. I mean, we're basically walking dead people. Um, and uh, and so uh, is it our strength or his, you know? Uh, do we have any strength at all? Um, 
uh, is there any hope for for the for our end of the ladder? There was a guy uh, in early church history named uh, Pelagius. Have you heard that name before? Um, uh, I'll just write it here. Uh, he um, he was a monk from Ireland who came to Rome and saw that the um, the uh, the behavior of people was completely deplorable, and so he wanted uh, moral reformation. And he thought that what was happening was that Christian leaders like Saint Augustine of Hippo were preaching a message that basically said. It's not about us climbing the ladder. It's about God coming down to us. 100%. That's, that's how we're saved because we're completely corrupt. There's no hope in us climbing the ladder at all. Um, and Pelagius said, well, that's not right. Uh, if you preach a message like that, it's going to lead to all manner of licentious behavior. I mean, you're basically saying that, uh, well, God does it all. That, you know, you don't worry about it. No sweat. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Uh, but he, but Pelagius misunderstood uh, what the way that things work. Um, but Pelagius is just a nice sort of uh, way of explaining how most people think about Christianity. Um, you know, I mean, he's a he's a figure that stands out in church history, and he had a knockdown, dragout argument uh, with Augustine, uh, who said, "No, we're down here, and God comes all the way down." Whereas Pelagius said, "Yeah, we're down here, but we've got to go up to God." It, it, it depends on our ability uh, to, 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 through our spiritual uh, devotion and through our behavior, to become uh, uh, completely perfect, uh, uh, to, to, to reach God. Now, through church history, uh, there have been people, and I, I'm talking across the span of church history, even in, before Pelagius, even before Pelagius, in the Bible you see this, People uh, have attitudes like that, but but more so, what uh, usually kind of creeps its head up is something called semi-Pelagian, uh, uh, semi-Pelagianism, um, which says that basically God helps those who help themselves. That um, if you just kind of a little bit start climbing the ladder, God's going to come down and meet you where you are. Just get on that first rung, or go about halfway. Or maybe you even need to get a little more than halfway, and God will meet you. But you've got to do a little bit, or God's not going to have anything to do with you. Uh, and I'd say that actually Pelagius' attitude that you've got to go 100% all the way to God is less burdensome. <laughs> because it's like, you know, I mean, get it done, get her done, you know? Whereas semi-Pelagianism is, 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 is uh, I don't it just feels like a, a knife in the back to me. In terms of like, you've you just got to do a little, little tiny, little petite morsel of something of spirituality or or moral improvement and then god will finally uh get to you um i worked at a church uh where uh one of the other pastors used to uh, i think what was happening is we were having like a pelagius versus augustine kind of thing in the pulpit like i'd preach a very kind of grace-based sort of augustinian pauline sort of uh, sermon and the next sunday he'd He'd often uh, say, well, you know, um, uh, you, 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 you've got you've to open the door a little bit, he'd often say. You've got to leave a little crack open for God to come in. And that was that semi-Pelagianism, that, um, that you've got to do just a little bit, however you articulate it, 
Um, and it's a misunderstanding of the human ability. That This is a really unpopular thing that I'm about to say, that humans don't have a completely free will. Uh, we like to think that we do, but and I'm not saying that uh, we have a completely opposite of free will. What I'm saying is that we have a will, it's corrupted, it's bound. It's bound to the extent that uh, it leads to all manner of things like, you know, addiction our inability to go after God but instead to curve in on ourselves which is another word for original sin uh, incurvatus ense was the Latin phrase that rather than seeking after God climbing the ladder what we're down here doing is constantly circling around ourselves that we're curved in on ourselves we've made ourselves our own God so how's there any hope in us uh, trying to climb that ladder? Even if we think that we're starting to go up it, we're going to fall back down. Just like my dad with the pouring the liquor down the drain and then later that day finding himself uh, in the, the liquor store. And as I said, this, this is the, for me, this is where it comes to bear. All that I'm talking about. Because... Um, uh, we can agree on a lot of things, but often these are where the church arguments come to bear. These are where the church schisms often happen. These are where the arguments uh, really come into place. This is what was behind the Protestant Reformation. Um, it's in the Bible uh, with Paul responding to the Judaizers in Galatians. It's elsewhere with Paul when he asks the rhetorical question in Romans, what then are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace. And his rhetorical answer is, by no means. The reason why he asked that question, what then, after you've heard the gospel of grace, that the, 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 the law of God um, no longer has an effect on me, uh, he asked the rhetorical question because, of course, people have been asking him it, you know? Uh, he writes it because he's heard it before. What then are we to go on uh, sinning? And he says, by no means. That's not what I'm saying. I'm, uh, and then, again, later in church history with Augustine and Pelagius, it's the same sort of deal. Um, um, uh, that Pelagius thought that if we preach a message that it's all about God coming down to us 100%, that it's going to lead to more sinning. Uh, you know, that was that's a misunderstanding. Um, and we'll get to that in a later lesson. I've asked Doug Webster to talk about the Christian life and address that sort of issue that, um, well, what is it, you know, now, now that you're a Christian, as God's come down to you 100%, what is the, how do we lead our lives? Um, how do we live in response and gratitude to that message? Um, that's the thing that Pelagius didn't understand. That's the thing that the Judaizers and uh, uh, Galatians didn't understand. And you see it elsewhere later in church history with Martin Luther um, having a very similar debate uh, as Augustine had with Pelagius. Luther had a debate with Erasmus, who himself helped pave the way for the Protestant Reformation by working with the Greek Bible that these guys handled that sort of led to this, these new breakthroughs with scripture and new translations. But Erasmus didn't like this idea that our wills aren't completely free. And so Martin Luther and Erasmus, who was like the smartest dude in the world uh, at the time, uh, were having a very similar argument about uh, man's will. Uh, you see it later in, uh, in more evangelistic revivals in an argument between John Wesley and George Whitfield. <laughs> 
if you know who I'm talking about. Wesley, uh, the early Methodists, uh, there were actual, there were actually not only Arminian Methodists, but Calvinist Methodists at the time, largely represented by someone like George Whitfield, who maybe you know about. Both of these guys traveled all over the dang place preaching, but they had knockdown, drag out arguments about predestination. <laughs> Uh, whether or not God comes down to us or, or, or demands uh, some ability for us to approach him. And I, I've seen this in my own life constantly. Some of you will send me emails after this class. Some people who are listening to the recording are going to send me emails. I just know it's going to happen. Go ahead. That's fine. Um, I, uh, I once preached a, a sermon and, and where I was kind of trying to channel my best Martin Luther uh, St. Augustine, St. Paul, and afterwards someone confronted me in the parking lot about that, about this idea. They didn't like that I say God 100% uh, and said, well, you know, free will's in the Bible. And I said, is it really? Where is it in the Bible? And this person said, well, I don't know. It's in there. And I said, actually, I will tell you where free will is in the Bible. Genesis chapter 3. And they screwed up. When they had free will completely, Adam and Eve made the wrong decision. When they were told not to eat from that tree, they ate from that tree. And afterwards, the free will was corrupted. (laughs) But they had it um, as perfectly free creatures in the Garden of Eden. And ever since, we have a will, but it's not as free as it once was in chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Genesis. And when a man was completely free of original sin, he still (laughs) used that free will to make a really bad decision. And then that person said, well, I still don't think you're right. Um, You know, whatever. Uh, So um, I tried my best. Um, And uh, and anyone who truly preaches this uh, gospel message, I think, is constantly confronted by, what in the world are you talking about? I know I have will. There's a pen right here, and I can pick it up. Well, that may be true, but I'm not talking about picking up pens and making a decision about what donut to eat. I'm talking about a relationship between us and God, which is a completely different idea. That what we've done is instead of making God God, we either find false idols that's something else to make God, but chiefly we're usually making ourselves God. So if there's any ladder that we're climbing, it's usually just a circular one back to ourselves. Uh, and um, people who I know who, uh, who preach a very similar message are constantly confronted with, that's just crazy. Um, uh, in the same way that we saw in the Bible with Paul and we see it with Augustine and we see it with Luther and we see it with people like George Whitfield and anyone else uh, in that sort of uh, strain of thinking. Now, there's uh, this, all this stuff exists in uh, our Anglican heritage the message of God coming completely to us. And remember I've said that our confession of faith is found in the 39 Articles of Religion that's more helpfully expounded in the historic homilies of the church, but these are the pithy kind of statements uh, theologically in our background. Uh, and there's a, the middle section of the 39 Articles really addresses human nature, anthropology, us, and our relationship with God. Uh, and if you take a look at your handout under that um, that opening prayer that I had us read, there are a couple articles from the 39 articles. 
And hopefully all that I've said now is helpful for understanding these three articles. Rather than starting with them, I hope that what I've said gives you sort of a framework to understand them. Let me just uh, read through this. And I, I didn't, I brought in before the more modernized, uh, someone cleaned up the language of the 39 articles, which I found helpful, but um, I just wanted to copy and paste. It was easier for me to do that here with the older one. So forgive the Elizabethan language. Uh, original sin standeth not in the following of Adam, as the Pelagians do vainly talk, but it is the fault and corruption of the nature of every man that naturally is engendered uh, of the offspring of Adam, whereby man is very far gone from original righteousness and is of his own nature inclined to evil, so that the flesh lusteth always contrary to the spirit, and therefore in every person born into this world it deserveth God's wrath and damnation. And this infection of nature doth remain, yea, in them that are regenerated, whereby the lust of the flesh, uh, I'll skip the Greek, which some do expound the wisdom, some sensuality, some the affection, some the desire of the flesh, is not subject of the law of God. And although there is no condemnation for them that believe and are baptized, yet the apostle uh, Paul doth confess that concupiscence and lust hath of itself the nature of sin. Now, I mean, this is a lot. I'm, you know, um, I granted. It's, it's, you've got to read this kind of thing several times to kind of wrap your mind around it. And remember that they're responding to some stuff that's going on at the time. Chiefly in this article, the beliefs of the medieval church that thought that if you are baptized... Uh, including as an infant, that your original sin is washed away. And there's still plenty of people that talk this way now. And what this is saying is uh, even those who are uh, regenerated, who have faith, who God has come down to, uh, um, the, the, the sin remains. Um, Christians are sinners as much as everyone else. Uh, and that infection is in all of us, and it's deserving of God's wrath. Not because of our actual sins and behaviors, um, not because of the things that we do necessarily. A lot of people feel guilty about the particularities of their sin. Maybe you do. You know, the kind that maybe you get, you stay up at night feeling guilty about the particular things that you've done. But it's even the problem's even deeper than that. That you can't stand before God uh, without uh, receiving His wrath, uh, not just because of the things that you do, but because of who you are. Um, uh, that uh, God's wrath meets the original sinner. Um, and then on the flip side of that, what about free will? Remember I brought in free will. That's the next article. That's the, the, the question that kind of comes up after you, you read an article like Article 9 on original birth or birth sin. Uh, what about free will? Uh, and so they answer that question that they anticipate here in Article 10. The condition of man after the fall of Adam is such that he cannot turn and prepare himself by his own natural strength and good works, to faith and calling upon God. Wherefore, we have no power to do good works pleasant and acceptable to God without the grace of God by Christ preventing us, that we may have a good will and working with us when we have that good will. Preventing means Christ going before. He's leading the way. Um, uh, he's, the, he's, the dang, he's the ladder. Jesus Christ is the ladder. That's, uh, remember the Jacob's dream of the ladder to God? It was Jesus all along. You know, God came down and took on human flesh uh, to meet you. Um, 
and not just humanity, but you as a, a particular person. Um, and then again, uh, this um, the idea of baptism comes up a little bit later. I skipped a few because I'll talk about those articles um, next time when I bring the hope, when I bring the gospel in. Come back, you know, don't end with this. <laughs> um, but I skipped a few to bring up baptism again. Uh, of sin after baptism. Not every deadly sin willingly committed after baptism is a sin against the Holy Ghost and unpardonable. Wherefore, the uh, grant of repentance is not to be denied to such as fall into sin after baptism. After we have received the Holy Ghost, we may depart from grace given and fall into sin. And by the grace of God, we may arise again and amend our lives. And therefore, they are to be condemned, which say they can no more sin as long as they live here or deny the place of forgiveness to such as truly repent. Uh, it's sent, yeah, and here's the big word. And this is what um, this is what I'll talk about next time. And maybe you've used this word before in another way or heard it uh, used in another way is grace. This is God's operation toward us that uh, allows him to be our savior 100% that uh, drives us to our knees again and again when we are confronted with our sinfulness and repent. And the thing that gives us pardon is all God's grace, which is another word uh, for gift. Um, You might have heard it articulated as uh, unmerited favor, which is kind of a mouthful. I like to say um, God's love for unlovable people, uh, that this is the operation of him uh, coming down the ladder. And another uh, kind of way to think about it, uh, the way that, again, bringing Martin Luther back in, is uh, he often talks about the old Adam and the new Adam in us that um, there's the old Adam, that's the original sin nature that we've inherited from him in us, and that Adam has to die. Uh, And it dies through the gift of grace from God so that we might have a resurrection in our life. This isn't about getting better through progress. This is about absolute death and absolute resurrection, night and day. Uh, and it's really frustrating because we continue to live this life as original sinners, and daily do we have the old Adam and new Adam tugging uh, inside of us um, and, and, and God doing work on us. Uh, and I, I don't have time to do it, but on the flip side, and you have your own Bibles, so you can just look at them. But um, I brought in this passage from Romans. We don't, I don't think we have enough time to talk about it now because uh, the class is about to end. But um, uh, Romans chapter 5 at the end really starts to get at this idea of uh, who the old Adam uh, uh, is and was and who the na- new Adam is. That just as we had a, a representative in Adam who led us to corruption, we have a new Adam who is Jesus Christ, who represents all of us, who leads us to new life. Uh, and that's where the hope is. That's where the gospel is. That's the thing that I'll talk about 
um, next time. I found it. Here's a long, one last story. Really funny. Um, I went to Canterbury Cathedral in England several years ago, which is our, um, you know, supposedly the sort of mothership of Anglicanism. That's the See of Canterbury, where the Archbishop of Canterbury's seat is. And his seat uh, um, uh, is at the very top. There's a massive, massive building at this old cathedral seat at the top center. And looking all the way to the back of the church, there's stained glass. And the one that's in complete uh, eye shot, you can't really see very well, is this stained glass of Adam. It says, Adam, can you see it okay? Maybe here? I don't know. And he's digging in the dirt. And Rowan Williams, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, said he loved that when he's sitting in his chair, you know, high and mighty at the mothership of Anglicanism, that that's the stained glass in his eyesight. As he said, it reminds me that we're all just a piece of sod. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's humbling to him to remember even him with his, you know, mitre and purple robes, that he's just another man like the rest of us in need of uh, God's intervention in his life. Well, next time, again, as I said, I'll, I'll bring the hope. Uh, the message is, uh, the, the lesson is, what, what have I called it? The gospel of grace, I think. Uh, and then after that, we'll hear from Doug Webster, who will uh, address the, the question of, well, now that you're a Christian, so what? What does that mean? You know, should we go on sinning or what? Uh, and then uh, I think maybe there's a couple more lessons, one from Mark Ginellette on the sufficiency of Scripture. I'll talk about the history of the Advent, and then we'll finally have that, that lunch with Andrew. Um, well, uh, before we leave, let us pray. Um, Almighty God, uh, uh, we come to you in all humility as um, sinners, Lord, and we pre- repent of our ways. And we thank you for your grace in bringing us here today and your grace of helping us to recognize our need for, for him, uh, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Go in peace.